This is the Holy Gospel according to St. Mark, the first chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. As soon as Jesus and the disciples left the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now, Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told him about her at once. He came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. Then the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sunset, they brought to him all who were sick and possessed with demons, and the whole city was gathered around the door. And he cured many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. In the morning, while it was still very dark, he got up and went out to a deserted place, and there he prayed. And Simon and his companions hunted for him. When they found him, they said to him, Everyone is searching for you. He answered, Let us go on to the neighboring towns, so that I may proclaim the message there also, for that is what I came out to do. And he went throughout Galilee, proclaiming the message in their synagogues and casting out demons. This the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Grace and peace to you from God, our Creator, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. In our house, we've newly discovered the joy of Waldo's world. Where's Waldo books? In fact, seek and find books in general have been a real hit lately as we pore over the vibrant pictures and the, the pages trying to search and find out where is Waldo. And it's fun. I loved Waldo as a kid. It's fun finding that central character hidden among the crowds, having to look and search deep to go and find where he was this time. Now, one of the challenges I've realized is that my kids are quite good at doing this at this point. In fact, in many cases, they've memorized the location of that central character. And so when it comes time to then find him with them, they know exactly where to look as I'm frantically scanning the page myself to locate said character. Now, you see, this has meant then that I've started to urge the kids to look a little bit deeper into the picture. You know, sometimes they give the little box of additional things or people to locate in the picture, that kind of a thing. I'm trying to get them to do that because at least I have a fighting chance to sort of race them to find those additional characters and objects. And it's got me thinking then sort of how we read the gospel sometimes, right? Sometimes we sort of familiarize ourselves with the gospel so much that we memorize certain people or locations. In fact, it's really easy to spot Jesus from time to time, regardless of the setting. And, and this early in Mark's gospel, halfway through the first chapter, he's been a lot of places. I can spot him easily in the Jordan River as the dove descends down upon him. Easy to spot in the wilderness. Not many characters out there besides him and the devil. The synagogue, hard to miss him. He's there in the middle of it all, healing people and bringing new life to people. And certainly today, even in our gospel, he's in a home, but... Again, his healing hands make him stand out, right? It makes him stand out like a candy cane striped sort of outfit like Waldo would wear. But what I'm starting to realize then is that it's not just about him. There's more to the picture that's been painted. There's more to the gospels that exists, right? What about those characters? What about those things in the background that, that fill out the scene? And today, I wonder about a particular person. I wonder about Simon's mother-in-law this day, whose name or lack thereof itself is a reminder of the marginalization of women 
in the heavily patriarchal society. We don't ever find out what her name is, but she's a really important character. And names are important as well. So today, rather than refer to her over and over as the mother-in-law, I want to name her. And I encourage you to maybe do this next time you read this particular gospel as well. And so I think the name Linda is a really great name. It's my mom's name, of course, and never hurts to get some brownie points too. But I think naming her is important. So we're going to name her Linda for today. And, and Linda, as it turns out, is more than, I think, a voiceless plot device to move the story along or to just simply receive a miracle for a miracle's sake. She's more than just another woman subjugated to the role of, of providing hospitality for the men of the household. I think, in fact, I would say I know, that if we look closer, what we're going to find in Linda is a faithful woman whose actions speak louder than any words ever could and whose understanding of Jesus and his ministry runs deep, perhaps even deeper than that of her own son-in-law, Simon Peter, and his friends, the rest of the disciples. And the story, perhaps, is a familiar one, as I've mentioned, right? Jesus stands out. An illness has drawn Jesus from the very public sphere of the synagogue to the very private location of this particular household. And it's in the privacy of this household that an opportunity for healing presents itself. The opportunity for healing touch to occur. And that's, of course, how this miracle comes about. But Linda isn't simply healed. She's resurrected. The phrase is, Jesus lifted her up. But it's probably better if we translated the Greek to Jesus raised her up. The very same verb used in chapter 16 of Mark's gospel to describe Jesus' own resurrection. This woman, Linda, is literally resurrected to new life as her fever disappears. And no longer now is she simply asymptomatic, but this is a larger moment. This moment is representative of the transformative power of resurrection itself. She's not just been healed, she's been resurrected to new life altogether. And that, of course, is a turning point in anyone's life. And she's newly affirmed this sort of resurrected life in her response. She affirms this new life in her response to turn and to serve. And notice, Notice her service isn't a command. Jesus doesn't raise her up and then say, go and serve or go and provide hospitality. She does it on her own. It's a part of being resurrected. She simply responds to this new life, doing the very thing that Jesus himself has come to do. Elsewhere in the gospel, Jesus lays out this mission. He says to his disciples later, he says, look, I came to serve, not to be served. I came to give my life as a ransom for many. And that leads me to believe that the service isn't just restricted to the standard expectations of hospitality, but there's, there's more to it. And I think the word itself is significant. In Greek, the verb is diakoneo. It might sound familiar to you. It's the root from which we get our word deacon. In many ways, I think this woman, I think Linda, is the New Testament. the Bible's first deacon. It's the same word used to describe the, the service that the angels provide for Jesus after he's been tempted in the wilderness a few chapters before, or a few verses before. And it's the same verb, as I already mentioned, that describes the very ministry and mission that Jesus has come here to do. 
that he has come to serve and not be served. You see, for Jesus, serving and miracles and proclamation are all one and the same. They all come together and all of them reveal the kingdom of God, which is exactly the thing that Mark tells us he's going to do in this gospel. He's going to reveal to us the truth of the good news of Jesus Christ, the good news of the kingdom that he ushers in. Linda is not just some previously unnamed plot device. She is an exemplar of faith. If I'm being honest, she's an exemplar of faith, especially compared to her son-in-law, Peter, who sometimes doesn't quite understand the whole faith See, the disciples themselves aren't going to understand this resurrected life that she has experienced until Easter. And even then, it only comes after a group of women have come and explained to them what has happened. And then, even then, they have a hard time reconciling this resurrected life until further proof is given. For Linda, it's an immediate response to service. For them, it's going to take a few tries to sort it all out. And this, this sacrificial service that, that she moves into, this diaconeo, she immediately assumes it, right? She doesn't need to be taught. She doesn't even need to be asked to do it. She simply does it. And yet we're going to find time and time again, Jesus is literally going to have to pull his disciples, pull Peter and friends aside and teach them, remind them, explain to them what service is going to look like. He's going to have to put a child in front of them and say, the least of these is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Or he's going to have to go and say, remember folks, the first are last and the last are going to be first. But that seems to be ingrained in Linda in this resurrected life from the start. And again, even their immediate response is significant. While Linda jumps directly into service to Jesus, the disciples jump to forming a search party to go and find where Jesus went. We're told that after this happens, and he leaves and goes to a private place to pray, that they go hunting for him. Now, this word is really important. They didn't go looking for him. They went hunting for him. There's, a, there's an underlying sense of, of hostility behind it. Like there's something wrong with what's going on, and they're going to go fix it. They're going to go pull him back. They wanted to bring him back to his senses because in leaving, they saw a void. They saw that miracles weren't happening and they needed more miracles. And miracles are a part of the proclamation, but it's not the entirety of the proclamation. Sometimes serving others is a part of the proclamation as well. You see, this is really important because later, Peter himself is going to be rebuked as he's unable to reconcile what it means for Jesus to be a savior, but at the same time to serve others or to be a savior and at the same time explain that he is going to die, to literally give up his life in the process. You see, Peter's going to misunderstand the things that Linda seems to grasp from the get-go. And sometimes, Sometimes when we look at a picture, we feel like we've seen it all. We feel like we, we can locate the central figure and everything else blends into the background. But sometimes I think it's important that we look into the background, look to the peripheries, perhaps even look to the margins to see where Christ is active and in and through whom Christ is active as well. And when we do that work, 
when we take that time, when we look beyond, it's going to reveal for us some powerful voices, perhaps powerful voices of unnamed and silent followers of Christ, servants of Christ who do his work unquestionably, who serve, yeah, perhaps even as deacons, deacons like Linda, or deacons like our own Christine, deacons who faithfully serve the church, who serve a call to follow, and who do it by serving others in the process. And so today, I'm thankful for this opportunity to look deeper, to see Jesus, but to see beyond him, and to lift up the voices of those previously unheard, because there's certainly voices listening to. Thanks be to God. Amen.